Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I am joined today by Emma Powell, news editor. How are you doing, Emma? Yeah, very well, thanks. Good. And Harriet Garford, how are you, Harriet? I'm fine, thank you. Excellent. So, Harriet, you've written the cover feature this week. I have, yes. Sink or Swim With shares. Megan Boxall, yeah. With <laughs> Megan, of course, who's not here today. But yeah. uh, Sink or Swim shares. I wrote a feature like this myself a few years back and uh, most of them sank. Oh, well, let's hope that's not the case for all of ours. No, I, I, th- I think you put a bit more analysis into it than I, I did at that point. <laughs> okay. And Emma, we're going to talk about the banks, um, because obviously the big news this week for the banking sector is RBS. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, the, the return to private ownership. Let's start with the banks. What's going on? Uh, well, like you said, obviously RBS second uh, share placing uh, this week by the government. It's been a while since the first one, though, isn't it? Yeah, it was 2015, August 2015, yeah. Um, you can understand why, though, because the shares have been languishing at such a low value. It's a bit of a political hot potato, isn't it? Because obviously, and, and, and what's grabbed the headlines around this share sale has been that they booked, I think it was a £2.1 billion loss. Yeah, yeah. But they waited a long time for the share price to bounce back, and it hasn't. It hasn't. I mean, actually, having said that, it is still up this year, and it had quite a strong run last year, but it's just taking so long. You know, over the past decade, it's had so many problems that have continually just knocked it back. Your piece suggests that those problems are kind of largely behind it. So I guess if if you're talking about the politics of it, if the problems have all been resolved... Why sell now when the shares are depressed? Philip Hammond did budget in the autumn statement for three billion pounds annually. I would say the reason they are going to sell now. Firstly, um, like I said, the share price has actually recovered, even though if you, you know if you look back historically, it's still pretty weak. It has recovered a so, bit in the past two years. So, so the, I mean, the buying price when the government bailed out the banks was five quid. Was it, near it was about five. five. It was yeah, I think it was um, five five hundred one pence something and the, like that. And the first sale, which happened in two thousand and fifteen, was three. I think it was three. three yeah, yeah, something, something like, like that. that. It was a much smaller discount. Count so um, I think it was this this share sale. There was a discount of around three point five percent, and during August two thousand fifteen, there was a discount of two point three percent. So it was a much smaller discount, much smaller loss, mm. which doesn't look great. But I think I think the major reason they they've decided to sell now is because this DOJ settlement. You know, RBS has been all about the known unknowns, as they call them. So the fact they've had lots of ongoing litigation, uh, lots of restructuring, uh, had to take a lot of provisions. You know, they settled with the Department of Justice over the uh, mis-selling of mortgage-backed securities prior to the financial crisis. They've taken that provision now. Their capital levels, even after taking that provision, are enough that people think they're going to return to dividends so that was the removal of the last major obstacle. And I'd say if they can afford to be paying dividends to shareholders, then I'd imagine that's the rationale for let's now try and sell it back into private hands. And, you know, it's the return to normal. What we do know is that apparently this placing was heavily oversubscribed, but it completed very, very quickly. So, so the, you know, the, the institutional investors who were invited into this transaction seem convinced that RBS is, is about to recover. Do we agree? It's really difficult because the thing is, I would say it's we've got it on a hold and that's not because it's 
prospects aren't improving. It, it is. Its, it's capital levels are superior to some of its peers, like Barclays. Okay. Which is, I guess, you know, yours group, kind of RBS, Barclays, Lloyds together. Lloyds is, I think, the top of, of all of them. They're less damaged. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and hence why it returned to dividends a while ago. But at the same time, its shares, because they have recovered quite a lot in the past two years, it's actually trading at a premium to Barclays and only a slight discount to Lloyd's. So I would argue that actually a lot of that improvement has been priced into the shares. It's very difficult to say. You know, it's I think it's just shy of its uh, forecast net tangible assets, the shares trading at the moment. And Lloyd's is like 1.1. And considering how superior Lloyd's return on equity is and the fact it's been paying a dividend for the past, I think it's is it two years, almost three years now. I don't see how you can justify buying into RBS. I just so, think it's... I, I kind of agree, and it's what I've, what I've said in my editorial. Um, I mean, see, I, I kind of look at RBS. And, yeah, you talked about the known unknowns, or you know, uh, which was redress. Um, but I worry about the unknown unknowns, and that's what's happening to the banking sector. And I, I guess a really good example of that is something that you've mentioned in your uh, Seven Days piece this week, which is TSB, that in terms of technology... These big legacy banks are really struggling. Well, that's the thing that there there is. You can tell there's a lot of nervousness around newer entrants coming. I actually wrote a piece um, about the rise of digital banking and all these Monzos, and I mean, there's there's tons of challenger banks out there, not non non listed. Um, and I think there is. I think the big banks are keeping one eye on all these newer entrants, which are gaining so many new customers. It's, it's really interesting. I mean, funny enough, the person, my first job uh, was in an advertising agency specialising in technology. The, the chief exec of that advertising agency has set up a bank. And it's, it's a digital bank. It, I think it's called You or something. And, um, and basically, yeah, they're targeting people who can't get bank accounts from these guys. Or, you know, it, it, it's just the, the whole ground. And they're gaining customers a pace. It's the whole ground of banking seems to be shaking, shaking up. And you've got things like open banking coming in, which you wrote about, Harriet, didn't you? Uh, yeah, in the regulation feature. Yeah. So, so you know, the, the whole world of, you know, the, the foundation upon which these large banks have been built, including the legacy technology infrastructure they have, seems to be being pulled from underneath them. Yeah, it is a major challenge. And like you mentioned, I mean, the risks of what can go wrong when you are updating your systems is evident in what happened with TSB. And obviously, they're under formal investigation. But they're, now. But they're not the first, are they? I mean, no, 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 no. I mean, it, it, you, you know, it, it makes perfect sense. There's so many risks. We're dealing with this large amounts of customer data for things to go wrong. But the only thing I would say about the big banks is they do have, they benefit massively from inertia still. In terms of people switching? In terms of private accounts. I mean, I say, you know, personal accounts rather than, say, business accounts. Yeah. So so I, it seems to me that the landscape is shifting more in, in the kind of provision of finance to small businesses, for example, than in, than in the personal account space. Oh, yeah, things like that. I mean, that's but that's partly why, you know, a lot of UK-listed challenger banks like your Paragons and people like that have done so, so well because in the wake of the financial crisis, um, and, and even now, to be honest, they just provide areas of finance which all the big banks retreated from. Yeah, no, no, I mean, it's extraordinary. You know, buy to let being, being one of them, for example. Buy to let, asset finance, even motor finance. I mean, asset finance is huge. I was looking at some numbers from uh, the British, British Business Bank. And yeah, asset finance is growing. Yeah, it's massive. Extraordinarily. Pretty much all the, all the UK listed challenger banks have 
asset finance probably after buy to let lending is the biggest share of, of their lending. So, so, I mean, so, so I guess the big question for me, and, and I get the big question for our readers is, I mean, what is what is the attraction of a bank? I mean, in terms of an RBS or a Lloyd's or or a Barclays, I, I put HSBC in a slightly different category. That's an uh, income stock. Um, yeah. But also much more international than the mm. banks we're talking about. But I, I look at these banks and I think, why would I invest in them? Yeah, I mean, historically, they they were seen, obviously, as these, you know, great income stocks. Um, I think it's, it's twofold. So you can either get into a bank, I would argue, like Barclays, which is still, I think it's about 0.7 times forecast net tangible assets that it's trading on at the moment. That's the cheapest in the sector. I'd argue, and it is recovering. So you can either get into that, and I think the shares do have growth potential. They also have reinstated their dividend. Or you do go down something like a Lloyd's, which has a fair dividend yield. Mm. So I think it's twofold. But I think with RBS, the fact that, okay, it could it could reinstate its dividend, it's not good. For, you know, for the next couple of years, I don't see the dividend yield or the dividend being as generous as like a Lloyd's or even actually like a Barclays. And I think the shares are... I think it's all the improvement is in the share price now. So I don't really see, and and with the continuing share sales, like I said, it's about three billion pounds annually expected to be over the next five years. That's going to continue to depress or you know hold down the share price. So I don't even see the growth prospects there. I struggle to I struggle to see the investment case for banks. What else we got in the news this week? Some some retail stuff. Harriet's not here this week. She's been hogging the podcast the past few weeks, but uh, WH Smith, the worst shop in Britain. Yes, worst shop in Britain, but done very well in terms of uh, sales during the third quarter. So, in fact, actually, I think Harriet was saying they're up about a fifth over the year, which is rare um, for a retailer because obviously the amount of bad news we've had. I think it's the where WH Smiths has benefited despite being called the worst retailer. Which it um, is. I mean, I mean if you've experienced the WH Smith store recently, which we all have, yeah. it's, it's not a nice shopping experience. Yeah, it's kind of confectionery and... Yeah, overpriced confectionery. Yeah. We depend upon WH Smiths. It's important for us that WH Smith is a good retailer. True, yeah. Um, but, but the results look all right. So yeah, well, it's it's travel outlets. It's, it's it's the travel outlets, which you know, train stations, airports. That's what's driving the growth there. Yeah, no, indeed, indeed, and the master of cost cutting, of course, which we've we've talked about many, many times. Thank you, Emma. Let's move on to the cover feature: sink or swim. Yep, and we've looked at a range of sink or swim possibilities in the future. Um, so I suppose in a nutshell, what, what we've done with this cover feature is look at smaller companies listed on the AIM market, um, companies with a market cap between 40 and 250 million. I think that's quite large. It is quite large. I think large. you've gone too high with that. <laughs> well, small caps in a looser sense, I suppose. Originally, we were actually looking specifically at penny stocks, but so many companies looked interesting that were a tiny bit bigger that we sort of expanded our range a bit. No, no I, I just, I just. <laughs> Thanks. I think 40 million is also quite small, though. We didn't want to go any lower because that would sort of, they'd lose more their, their liquidity and, and all those sorts of things. A- absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, we specifically chose companies listed on AIM because um, AIM obviously traditionally is a high growth market for smaller companies although it does now also accommodate massive giants like asos and um it also has uh less stringent listing criteria than the main market so a few companies that wouldn't necessarily meet the criteria of a sort of um, main market ipo um can sort of fit in there so um, and that's that's based on trading history um... trading history minimum market cap minimum free float so how much liquidity there's going to be 
a lot of other criteria. But yeah, and what, what we wanted to do was look at companies that you wouldn't necessarily come across if you were going down a very traditional investment route in terms of the criteria you were looking at. So um, we've used counterintuitive screening criteria to look at those companies within that market cap range. Um, one of the screening criteria we've looked at is zero revenues, which obviously threw up a lot of resources, stocks, biotech companies, which Megan's looked at, but also some tech companies, along with some really weird and wacky sort of alternative energy, alternative broadband providers. Doesn't sound enormously appealing. Well, you know, <laughs> obviously there is a heightened level of risk with these companies, and I hopefully we've emphasised that within the future. But um, I think if you look hard enough, as we've tried to do, there are some really interesting prospects out there. And yes, it could go either way with any of them. So um, hopefully it's a bit of an ideas generator. So, so you've got the zero, zero revenue companies. Zero revenue and companies. And you've also got companies whose revenue growth projections are, are very eye-watering. And you look at them and think, really? Yes, exactly. And, and what we've tried to do with each of these companies is... For example, look at companies with zero revenues and say, OK, well, what else has it got going for it? What are the factors that might make it sink, potentially? And what are the, com- what are the factors that might make it do incredibly well and actually start making revenues, hopefully, in the near future? Swim. Swim, exactly. <laughs> and that's, we've chosen the sink or swim dichotomy because with these smaller companies, it really could be a, a case of complete failure if, if things go wrong because they are so small. Yeah. Um, but so guess, let, let's start with let's start with the pre-revenue stuff. Uh, yeah. Perhaps pick out a couple. of... I mean, Megan's not here, so let's not talk about the the biotech, biotech stuff. Which we yeah, we she's about written about time. some interesting biotech things, but you can read those in the magazine. You can. Let's talk about some of the non-biotech stuff. Sure. Where yeah, there's an interesting opportunity, maybe. Yes. So um, we've actually spoken about EVR Holdings before on the podcast. Um, a few months ago, possibly in a more disbelieving way, but um, I'm actually a bit more confident about the company now. So EVR, um, in a nutshell, provides virtual reality music content. Um, it sounds niche, it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're, going, we're going back to the gaming. Preface the, it with the, that. The, uh, the uh, esports thing now. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, um, really? People do that? They, they, well, apparently they do. And um, the reason that EVR is, has been pre-revenue until very recently is that its main flagship product, which is called Melody VR, had been in the testing stages for months. So the company IPO'd in 2016, and its shares, I think, at the time of writing the feature were up over a 1,000% since their IPO, basically on a concept and a theory alone, because their product hadn't launched commercially. What Melody VR does is allows you to watch the concert of your favourite band or singer from home using a VR headset or a VR-enabled smartphone. Sounds brilliant. It's not where I go to concerts, but there you go. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And I mean, uh, you looking like concerts, at... You like don't don't think I'd... Um... You wouldn't? No, you're not going to sit home with a VR headset rather than going to, you know... What if... Um, no, I wouldn't. What if you really wanted to get tickets for a concert and you just missed out and you found out you could watch the concert from home for £9.99? You get to the pub, wouldn't you, Emma? <laughs> Probably, yeah. Watch it on TV later. I wouldn't. I, I would, yeah. I'd watch it online. Okay, later. fair enough. Sorry, I, I know I'm butting in it. I do get it. Well, that's actually one of the um, one of the sync factors that we've considered um, when looking at EVR holdings. We don't really know whether this idea is going to take off. You know, will M- Melody VR? I should say the platform launched in the last few weeks. So um, EVR announced that they finally launched their product in the US and the UK. So we're hoping for revenues, and the broker Investec has now published forecasts which predict quite promising revenues. Decent, decent broker, actually. That. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think they changed brokers last year. Um, but yeah, so that's encouraging. But we still don't know whether or not Melody VR is 
going to become very incredibly popular and achieve all the promise that the share price increase implied, or it's just not going to happen. I, 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 I do kind of get it. I do kind of get it. I mean, I was looking at so Mikey's like Taylor Swift, of course. Yeah. Teenage girls. I like um, Taylor Swift too. Oh, do you now? I do. <laughs> I shouldn't admit to that. <laughs> and I looked at uh, concert tickets. Ninety thousand people, Wembley Stadium. Hundred pound a ticket. Mm. They're not going. They're not going. But would they pay twenty pounds to watch it on a VR headset? Yeah, maybe they would. Yeah. The, I, I one problem I foresee with this is we don't actually have any VR headsets in the household. Well, this is another point that we've kind of considered um, within the feature. So, again, a potential sync factor, although it's not definitely a sync factor. EVR and companies like it, VR content producers, are really reliant on a buoyant VR headset market. So the headset producers at the moment, the big ones are Google, Facebook, Microsoft. It's Oculus. Oculus, Ocu- Oculus Go yeah. is, the, is the hardware that EVR has launched with. VR is still kind of an unproven concept. You know, although it's taken years in the making, we don't know whether it's really going to become the next big entertainment form yet. It would be a bit of a disaster if someone, if a company like Google suddenly decided to withdraw their products because then Melody VR has no platform on which to be used. Mm. Um, so it needs the hardware to be there and it needs people like you and your daughters to buy the hardware. Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to get But I suppose <laughs> the idea the is as more and more people, as more and more companies like EVR produce high quality content, hardware developers will be more inclined to produce high quality headsets. And so that it's a very mutualistic relationship and it's kind of out of EVR's control. Um, but hopefully it'll work out for them. I, 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 I like the idea. And actually, I do actually like the idea of virtual reality. I, yeah. I, I can see it taking off. But Me too, yeah, me too. It's, this is a swim we're talking it, about. It's here. a swim, yeah. And I should just add, I mean, one of the things that we've put into this part of the future is that actually management has quite significant stakes in EVR holdings still. So Always good to see. Exactly. The chief executive and the chief operating officer, I think, between them have about 23% of the shares. So that's encouraging. And um, yeah, we talk about lots of other swim points within the future, but... Um, you can read it. <laughs> okay. Uh, we, let's talk about a sink. Should we talk about a sink? Sink, yes. So um, another zero revenues company that we've actually put as a sink is Blue Jay Mining. Just as a bit of background, um, Greenland's mining potential, the country Greenland, I should say, that its mining potential was only really recently discovered, thanks, ironically, to climate change. And um, Blue Jay, I mean, the one advantage of climate change. The ice melted and they found a mine or something? Well, they found this, it's the highest grade mineral sand ilmenite deposit in the northwest of the country. And um, Blue Jay Mining is hoping to capitalise on this massive opportunity that's arisen um, via its Dundas project. What is ilmenite? Ilmenite is, um, I'm going to try and explain this properly, Um, it's it's a titanium iron oxide mineral. And what do we do with it? It goes into titanium. It, so it's, it's a component of titanium. Okay, okay. Um, so it has various uses, including, including sort of industrial uses. And there is a big market for it. And um, it's exciting, I suppose, that this icy island has suddenly revealed a massive potential resource for it. But it hasn't yet been commercialised by Blue Jay Mining. As, as with all these companies, it's a very small company. It's shown incredible promise. Recently, it revealed a 400% increase in its resources on site in terms of ilmenite deposits. There's been a lot of communication from the company in the last year or so about um, how exciting this is and, and how, when it's, it's hoping to bring the Ilmenite project into, produ- into production in 2019. Sta- standard mining playbook. Exactly. Um, it's actually been interesting talking to Alex Newman, who obviously writes about mining about it, um, 
and we sort of yeah we discussed it in detail together and I think the bottom line for us is that if it were this easy to extract ilmenite from Greenland it would have been done already by a larger company um, it just seems I mean it, it obviously it does sound like an exciting prospect and and I should say that Blue Day also has other projects elsewhere it has a it has copper zinc and nickel projects in Finland so it is diversified across other metals markets which, which presumably will give it the cash flow to try and exploit this, this wonderful hopefully. deposit that it has in Greenland exactly and if this all works out and it does manage to commercialise its ilmenite project in Greenland then it could potentially fund itself into larger metals markets but um, yeah I think we just think it's too small a player in this potentially large market and as I said, another company would have done it already if it were going to be this simple to do it, to take it into production this year or next that, year. That's true, but they said that about the Falkland Islands and, and its oil. And that, exactly. that is happening, so... Exactly. Yeah, Again, I mean, you know, I shouldn't say this, we, we put it as a swim, as a sink even, but um, with these things, it could surprise us. But I think for the time being, it there seems to be... We're cautious. Too much bark and not enough bite at that point. <laughs> bark, bark or bite, single swim. <laughs> bark or bite, yeah. Um, let's let's talk about the other category of companies that you have in the feature, which are those companies with what we perhaps would look at in terms of the forecast revenue growth that's, that, that analysts are placing on them and thinking that it might be a little bit overambitious. Yeah. Um, so we've looked at a few companies in the section, but um, one of them was actually Seeing Machines, which I don't think we at the IC have actually written about before. It's It's grown massively in the last couple of years. So its market cap is just over 200 million now, I think. This is our swim. It's a swim. swim. Yes, it's a swim, I should say, right now. So it's got a huge forecast compound annual, annual revenue growth rate. Seeing Machines has a driver monitoring system, which essentially can go into cars or into aviation vehicles and detect whether the driver looks drowsy or distracted. And then it can alert the driver, um, tell them that they look drowsy or distracted. Wake up, you dozy sod. Well, <laughs> hopefully not that. But, you know, I think it sort of sends beeps to them. And then if they don't wake up, it can actually get the car to pull over or to slow down. Okay, okay. And I, I mean, I, I think the World Health Organization says that 1.3 million people die every year in road accidents. And obviously that's not all caused by human error, but anything that can be done to improve driver safety is a good thing. I can completely understand that. I yeah. mean, obviously, you know, you look at London where we are now and there's obviously lots of talk about knife crime epidemic, hmm. but actually one of the biggest killers of people in this country is the road. The road, Exactly. And I think for fleet, for sort of transport fleets, for, for planes, I mean, to me, it seems this is almost limitless what it, what it could get involved in, you know, with the rise of autonomous vehicles as well. There's still going to be a human at the wheel kind of occasionally driving. You still need to have something monitoring them to check that they're with it and I, I mean, not asleep. I, th- I think you're right. I mean, you know, my, my view of uh, autonomous driving is that actually people like driving. But what you want to have are systems that help them drive much more safely. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I can see how this is a, a good idea, a very good idea. Yeah. And I mean, um, in terms of a couple of uh, potential sync factors that we did consider, I mean, back in May, the company had to cut its sales guidance because um, its global manufacturing partner was facing sh- shortages in certain components it needed for the system. Um, so that was a little disappointing. But actually, only in the last few days, seeing machine shares were up massively, I think over 20%. Um, if if around 20%, um, because they announced a contract with a big US-based automotive original equipment manufacturer. A car maker. A car maker, exactly. Um, Tesla, must be Tesla. Well, they haven't said it's anonymous, I'm not sure. Okay. But maybe maybe that's what people are hoping, that's why the shares rose by so much. And they're actually hoping to take their driver monitoring technology into 
vehicles for mass production from 2020. So that's pretty exciting. It, it looks, could be huge then. It could be huge. Really huge, exactly. And um, I should also say the European Commission is thinking about proposals to mandate that new vehicle models have the kinds of safety features that seeing machines provides. So having that legislative push potentially as well could really drive growth in the future. Yeah, absolutely. No, it sounds, so, sounds really, yeah. I, I really actually, I kind of I kind of like this one. Okay, good. That's a, that's a, that's a one we don't like so much. You're, you're chuckling there. Because we had a very long discussion about this yesterday. We did, with um, with Mark Robinson as well, because um, Xeros is a bite tip. The, the unsuccessful tips that Mark Robinson... <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Sorry, so, Mark. Um, so Xeros, in a nutshell, develops plastic beads and other types of technology similar to that for the commercial laundry and tannery industries. That does sound very niche. Um, but what they're trying to do is to reduce the amount of water that's used in commercial washing so, for example, in sort of hotel washing rooms. Yep, um, get that. And so these microbeads essentially should help to do that cleaning without using as much water. And obviously, water shortages have been in the news a lot recently. Um, I mean, particularly, I think we were looking at, we were talking about Cape Town yesterday and the terrible water shortage they've had. Well, you, oh, I was. <laughs> Maybe no one was listening. <laughs> but um, you can imagine how, um, if this were adopted on a mass scale, it, it could have really positive implications but yeah, water water shortages. It was a bit. It was a big thing. I mean, you used to cover yeah. utilities, didn't you, Emma? I mean, it was uh, water. Was water? It's it's kind of like gold, isn't it? Really, it is a finite resource. It's a finite mm. resource. So yeah, mm. it makes makes sense. But but so I mean, just to think about a couple of the sink factors. Although I should say this is a swim within the future. Um, so zero switched to a technology licensing model a couple of years ago. But um, after quite a few years of discussions about going about commercialising their product with manufacturers, they haven't quite done it yet. Um, <laughs> so they're still very much in the discussion phase with their with their manufacturing partners. And um, I think, as Mark wrote within his latest result on Xeros, I think the phrase he used was "stuck in spin cycle." Because um, a year ago, when he covered them previously, they were still in those discussions with OEMs with with the manufacturing partners. So it does feel like it's taking an extremely long time to reach commercialisation. The, the thing that struck me yesterday, and I must admit I hadn't thought of this before we started discussing it yesterday, was yes, water shortages are obviously a big thing and mm. you know, the preservation of water is, is very important. But a bigger thing that has come to kind of prominent political attention recently is plastic. Yeah, plastic in the ocean. And microbeads. Yes. And that's what they do. I know. So it's a bit of a um, it's a bit of a sort of conflict, I suppose, because on the one side, of course, you want to prevent water shortages and you want to improve clean water for people around the world. But at the same time, you don't want to be putting more plastic into the oceans. I think this is something that we'll need to ask Xeros about next time we speak to them. I think so. I mean, I would hope that what their microbeads are being designed to be as environmentally friendly as possible. Do the microbeads stay in the... Do they get washed out as well then? Is that how it works? Yeah, apparently they, apparently they, they have developed some kind of filtration system that's amazing yeah. they don't, but they... But it's but. hard to know for sure. Exactly, but particularly when we haven't seen them, seen it in a sort of commercial application. We don't really know quite how it works yet. But um, I think we're staying positive on the fact that... Yes, I, I, thinking... I did you a bit of a disservice there. You are positive. <laughs> I'm <laughs> it's positive. It's not a sink, it's a swim. It's a swim. But I am, I am, I am not convinced by this one but i suppose that goes to show how controversial some of these stocks are and you know it is it is a case of 
looking at it for yourself and thinking, do I really think this concept could work? It is, as with a lot of these, a real blue sky concept. But, um, you know, Baron Berg, um, who's one of their brokers, says that the domestic la- their domestic laundry segment alone has an addressable market of over $1.7 billion, which is huge. Um, if it manages to make its product successful. I, I, I worry about that type of analysis. The market is this big. Exactly. We only have to take this much of it. I, I yeah, really, we have to be sceptical. I, I really don't like that sort of analysis. Yeah. And actually, um, I don't know if this is appropriate for the podcast. Yes, but, um, it is. Everything Jeffries, is appropriate for the podcast. Jeffries said that it is squeaky bum time at the moment. For <laughs> it's in us. the feature. If it's, if it's you, in the feature. If it's in the magazine, it can be on the podcast. Um, <laughs> they, you know, they, they accepted that it was, you know, a potentially difficult time for the company, but there are various ways for Xeros to deliver as they're hoping. Um, and, you know, there could be multiple contracts within its tanning segment as well. So it's not it's not just laundry. It's also tannery that they do. And this is turning... Colouring leather, basically. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So, yes. Um, if it can reach its full potential, we think definitely worth buying into. But um, it's, as I said, very difficult to say. And you obviously disagree, which makes it even more interesting. This is the whole point of these things. Yeah. They're Marmite stocks. But, uh, they are Marmite I, I have stocks. to say, I mean, I've been wrong in the past about many things. Uh, Ocado is a great example of a company that many people, including me, thought, what mm. the hell is this? And well, look what they've done recently. I suppose Amazing, really. the issue with Ocado is that a lot of people weren't quite sure how to value it, which sort of peer group to compare it to. Because mm. is it a retailer or is it a tech platform? I was never convinced that its tech platform would get the buy-in that it has. So, yeah. Mm. Just shows how easy it is to be wrong with these kind of companies. Exactly. And you've got... So, hang on a minute. I, I, I've, I can't count them. 14... Um, I think about into, 14 companies. You've gone into detail on. Exactly. But you've got a, a big table there. Yeah. Both categories. So lots of ideas here. So yes, we have two big tables um, which give a list of pre-revenue stocks and also revenue uh, stocks with ambitious revenue expectations. And we do obviously cover a few of those within the feature, but the list is long and there are other ideas in there. Interesting thing on those tables is cash burn rates, which I think is uh, a very important thing to look at when you're exactly. looking at these kind of companies. Yeah, and um, we refer to the cash burn within quite a few of these um, in our actual write-ups, but um, hopefully the cash burn column should be helpful with the other companies too. Absolutely. Thank you, Harriet. And thank you, Emma. Really interesting feature. Lots of good stuff in the news section. I think this banking question is uh, a really interesting... You're you're writing an alpha report, aren't you, for us? On banking, yeah. Wow. Have you got started yet? I have, actually, yeah. Ooh. Where, 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 Where can we expect that? It is due at the end of June, I believe. So probably last week of June. And what are we looking at? We're going to be looking at the big banks and the... Big banks, challenges, investment banking, which actually doesn't get that much coverage because a lot of the banks have obviously got rid of their investment banking operations. But there's a lot going on in terms of regulation in the US and also European banks. Oh, God, European banks. Be careful with those. A bit weird there. Unicredit. Uh, Yes, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Emma. Um, right, plenty more in the magazine this week. As usual, reasonably busy results week this week. We've got uh, John Barron's latest updates on his investment trust portfolio. He's looking at technology, your area, Harriet. He's quite bullish on technology, actually, John. Oh, well, that's good to hear. Yeah. Depends which technology stocks. Big tech, big tech. <laughs> but U- US big tech. US big tech. It's a bit of, interesting. He's a bit of a contrarian, but... But I think he's got a point here. I think these companies, mm. they are, they're, they're world-changing type type of companies, which which we've kind of alluded to. Uh, and we're talking about Oculus, for example. All the usual personal finance and funds content, which they would be talking about on their podcast tomorrow. Lots of comment, as as usual. Thank you for listening. Sink or swim. 
small cap shares for the speculative investor. We will be back again next week. Thank you very much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.